Hope you guys aren't too worn out. Man, that was something. Praise God. Amen? Amen? I'm so thankful that we have the Faustos. I'm so thankful that Jose was so willing to get up here and lead us in worship this morning. Terry, thank you for being available. My wife got to sing this morning. Amen, guys. Amen. We can come together like that. Yeah. It's so beautiful that in the body of Christ, we all have things we can do. We all have gifts that we can use. And I just I appreciate uh, the folks who helped us lead worship this morning, who led us in worship, and them using their talents to glorify the Lord. Let's look at the scripture this morning, shall we? Open your Bibles back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now technically last week I only preached one verse and went about 35 minutes. I've got 15 verses today, so buckle up. Jason's not here. The cat's away. The mice will play. It's going to be probably about 2 o'clock, so I hope you brought some crackers or some Slim Jims or something. I'm just kidding. It's not going to be that bad. Jason is um, and Jody are in Indiana um, this weekend. Uh, a few weeks ago, um, they lost a family friend. Um, Jason describes the lady as kind of like a second mother. Um, and so they are having a celebration of life and memorial service for her family. And so that's where he is this weekend. So we just, we pray for them that they would have safe travel. They'd make connections with, with old friends and um, just be able to love on that family through this time. Last week, Romans H, verse 1, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We looked at that verse and we talked about the justification that we have in Christ through his gospel. Through the Spirit has saved us and has, has, has taken the condemnation. Christ took God's condemnation and wrath on himself for us. This week we're going to see the power that comes from that. The Spirit of God fills us as followers of Christ. And he gives us power over sin and death and the flesh. So this morning I've got a, a, a title. It's The Walk of Sanctification. The Walk of Sanctification. If chapter 8 starts with no condemnation, the end of it, uh, chapter 8 is no separation the spot in between is sanctification. Follow along with me as we read. Bear with me. It's 15 verses, so I'll do my best to not stumble too bad or go too fast. Verse 2, chapter 8 of Romans. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. 
if in fact the Spirit does not, uh, excuse me, if, uh, if, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead of sin because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Do you guys, you guys see this kind of repetitiveness? Paul's really trying to get it in their heads. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to the death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction that we receive from it. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and his his life and his ministry and the way that you used him to, to pin these words, God, and your spirit filled him and you told him what you wanted. And God, now we read your word here in this day and age. And God, I pray that we would see that it's original intent, but God, that you would use it to apply it to our lives today, almost 2,000 years in the future. God, we thank you. We thank you that your word is tested and it's true no matter the day or the time that it's read. God, use it to change our lives this morning. Use it to help us to go out of this place renewed and transformed people, transformed more looking like Christ. It's his name we pray. Amen. All right, so the first point of this morning, so if our title is The Walk of Sanctification, our first point is the power to walk in sanctification. The power to walk in sanctification. But how are we able to? Look back at verses 3 through 4. What does it say? For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Verses 3 and 4 hearken right back to verse 1. Therefore now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God did what the law couldn't. The law was weak. All the law could do was condemn. It could not bring life. It could only bring death. Because of this, it explains what happened. God did it. The law, which is good, but could only bring condemnation because of the weakness of the flesh and the sin. God sends Christ incarnate in flesh, not our sinful flesh, but like us. He condemns sin in Christ's flesh so that we as believers may go free. 1 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be, uh, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us. That's what it says. That's kind of strange, though. The second part of the verse, 
who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, the law can now be fulfilled in us because the Spirit of God is dwelling in us, giving us the ability to follow God's laws. So we are set free in Christ because of the gospel. Our salvation gives us the power over sin and death. His resurrection has secured all those blessings for us. When you look back at verse 2, you see this word law. It says the law of what? The law of what? The spirit of life and the law of what? Sin and death. Okay. So in the original Greek, in the original language, this word law isn't hearkening back to the Mosaic law. This is one of those instances where Paul takes a word that we're kind of familiar with and he uses it in a little bit of a different way. So this word law, think from now on, power, authority, influence. That's where we get this first point, the power to walk in sanctification. See, we have the power over sin and death because of what? The law of the spirit and life. Okay? So that's so from here on, when you hear law in this kind of sense, think authority, power. Okay? So we have sin. So we have the power over sin. What is sin? It's disobeying God's laws. Before salvation, you were a slave. Folks, free will is a myth. You are bound to actions only allowed by your flesh. You're, you're nothing. You have nothing but a sin nature to rely on at that point. The Spirit doesn't dwell in you. There's no faith in God. And without faith, it's what? It's impossible to please God, right? But in Christ, the Spirit has given us life, life spiritually. We were dead in our sins. And if you're dead, there's nothing you can really do. There's nothing connecting you to God if you're spiritually dead. Now, our flesh is still sinful, but now... We're able to choose the things of God because of the spirit of Christ that lives in us. Amen? Let's move on. Death. Sin and death still remain in our flesh. But what, what are we talking about? What's the death in this passage? It's the same one from Genesis 2.17 when it says, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day of that you, should, uh, you eat of it you shall surely die. Well, what happened to Adam and Eve? Did they die immediately? No. But physical death did enter into the universe. It entered into the world at that point. Spiritual death did too. That's why they were cast out of the garden. They were cast out of the presence of God. Sin enters in and now there's this disconnect between God and man. As Christians, we know that ultimately our bodies uh, may die. But we will be resurrected in full glorified bodies when Christ returns. Therefore, death has no power over us. The threat of losing one's life should be but a passing thought, never to dwell on again in the light of eternity. 1 Corinthians 15, 53, uh, verse 15, excuse me, chapter 15, verses 53 through 57. For this perishable, perishable body, and I, t- I, mm, I picked some tough verses this morning. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. 
O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that incredible news? Listen, I don't know exactly what everybody in this room came in carrying today. I do know this. Our church specifically has families struggling right now. I didn't know Linda McCants. I didn't know Don. But I've heard the testimony. I've heard how they were stalwarts in this community of faith. I know there's folks in this room right now struggling with loved ones who are close. They're close to seeing Jesus today. Death, where is your sting? We have victory. Amen? We as Christians, like no other people, we don't have to fear death. Paul says to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. I know it's hard. We're still here. But there has to be some sense of overwhelming joy. We've been set free from the power of sin and death because we have the spirit of life through Jesus. Folks, my, my grandparents essentially raised me. Okay, my, my parents divorced when I was like four. Um, my mom was a single mom working you know, 12-hour shifts as a nurse. And my grandparents really kind of pulled up the slack and really took care of me. Jim and Peg Kellum, two of the greatest godliest people I've ever known in my life. They've both since passed on. I had the joy and pleasure of preaching both of their funerals. One of the hardest things I've ever done. One of the most joyous things I've ever done. Why? We have the power of sin over sin and death, folks. It doesn't hold the sway over us anymore. It doesn't hold the victory anymore. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We see in verse 2 the second stage here of, of sanctification. Of, excuse me, of our salvation, which is sanctification. We're freed from the power, we're freed in the power of the Holy Spirit to no longer live under the weight and condemnation of sin. We're no longer slaves to sin, but can be slaves to righteousness. Does this mean that we're never going to sin again? Like we talked about that last week, didn't we? We're still in the flesh, we're still going to struggle. No, but the power, the authority, the influence of sin and its taskmasters the world, the flesh, the devil. They don't have ultimate power over us anymore. Amen? As followers of Christ, we can, we can resist temptation. We can choose to be obedient to Christ. We can choose not to sin. And there's our great foe, death. It can't hold us. Spiritually, we have been given life, and that can never be taken from us. But on top of that, this body may die, but it won't stay dead. With the sounding of the trumpet on the day of Christ's final return, our bodies will be made new, and we will be glorified, made like Christ. Folks, through the gospel and the work of Christ, we now have his spirit indwelling in us, and therefore the power in us to walk in freedom from sin and death. As we move forward in our text, I, I want us to, to look at what it does mean to walk in the flesh. 
which, you know, it's still at times we allow it to control us. We, we, we choose to go back to that. But I also want to look at what it means to walk in the Spirit. So let's look back at our text, Romans 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. If our first point was um, the power to walk in sanctification, our second point is the process of the walk of sanctification. The process of the walk of sanctification. Let's look at some of the terms. Um, walking in, in the Spirit. What, what are some of the terms we see in the text? Look back in the text. Verse 2, what does it mean? In Christ, power over sin and death. Verse 6, peace with God. We're no longer hostile or in enmity with God. Verse 8, we can please God. Verses 10 through 11, life and resurrection are present. Verses 9 and then verses 14 through 17, we have this idea of belonging to God. We're children, we're heirs. Those are some great terms, right? What about walking in the flesh, though? Bondage to sin, physical death, spiritual death, hostile to God, cannot please God. Death, the, the word death and die is used like four times through verses 2 and 17. Paul was really trying to hammer something home here. There's a road that leads to death and destruction. It's the one in the flesh. Cause us slaves to sin and fear. So let's look at some of the fruits of the flesh, the characteristics. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, Orgies and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now I grouped some of these together because we're going to look at them real quick, okay? I know it's sin and it's ugly, but we're going to look at it for a minute, okay? So I grouped some of these together to make it a little bit easier because a lot of these do flow into one another. The first one, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, orgies, Okay? Physical, mental, and sexual pleasure outside the bounds of God's prescriptive uh, bounds. One man, one woman, committed to one another in a marriage covenant, meant normally to only end in death of one or the other. So if anything falls outside of that definition, it's one of those things. I'm not going to go back through it. It's kind of a weird, kind of a weird one right there. Okay, Idolatry and sorcery. All right, don't start hating on Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and everything. Okay, that's, that's not what we're necessarily talking about right here. Well, we are talking about idolatry. It's kind of a catch-all. It means the worship of any other gods, looking to anything else other than Christ for power. That's what sorcery is. It's the act of using spells, chanting with spirits. It's deemed an abomination in Scripture. It can also be just this idea of trying to circumvent God's knowledge and sovereignty and worship Satan instead. Enmity, strife, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Enmity is defined as constant opposition with someone or something. Strife is a strong and ongoing conflict over a fundamental issue. Strife is deeper than argument. It's broader than a disagreement. It usually involves bitterness, sometimes violence. Jealousy, envy. Jealousy indicates that we are not satisfied with what God has given us. 
Envy is a resentful, a dissatisfied longing for another's possessions, position, fortune, achievements, or success. I hope y'all wore your steel-toed boots this morning. Anybody's feet hurting yet? Anybody's toes hurting? I'm not stepping on anybody's toes. It's, it's the word of God, so it's not me. Don't get mad at me, okay? Fits of anger, rage, losing control of your emotions and anger, sometimes causing emotional or physical harm. Last in the list, drunkenness, to drink alcohol in excess to the point of a loss of normal mental, emotional, and physical abilities. Now listen, some of you are like, why did he just go through that whole list? Folks, it's in there for a reason. It's characteristics of walking in the flesh. All of us here have walked in the flesh. Some of us struggle, we all do, to not walk in the flesh. What does it look like to walk in the spirit? Fruits of the spirit, all right. Let's get a little more happy, all right? Everybody smile, let me see smiling faces. Okay, looks good. Some of you need to work on it. All right, Galatians 5, verses 22 through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So this is the way we're meant to live as Christians. Having power over sin and death, with the Holy Spirit indwelling us, this is how we're meant to live. This word love, it's, it's agape. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you kind of know that in the Greek language, which is what this was originally written in, there's about four versions of the word love. Okay, This one's the word agape, unconditional love, sacrificial, self-sacrificing. It's not a feeling, though. It's, it's a choice. Joy, it's the gladness of heart, despite our circumstances, full of pleasure and trust in the Lord and his grace. That word's actually so close to the word grace. It's like one letter off. It's also a choice. Peace. Peace with God. Peace with others. Peace within us. And I'm not talking about the Buddha, Confucius type peace, okay? I'm talking about worry and anxiousness replaced with contentment in the Lord. You know what? It's a choice too. Patience. What does that mean? Long temper. That's how the KJV actually describes it. Enduring great pain and suffering without complaining. Slow to anger. Do you know it's a, a choice to have patience as well? Kindness. When we exhibit all the kindness of God, we are tender, benevolent, and useful to others. Every action, every word will have the flavor of grace in it. But it's a choice. Goodness. Goodness is a virtue. Now, goodness, you're kind of like, goodness, that's easy enough, right? Well, let's just think about it for a second. It's a, it's a virtue and holiness in action. It results in a life characterized by deeds motivated by righteousness and a desire to be a blessing to someone. You walk around looking for people to bless. Do you walk around with the mindset of, I wonder who I can bless today? Or do you walk around saying, what can everybody do for me? Goodness is a choice. Huh. Faithfulness, it's steadfastness, consistency, allegiance. It's carefulness in keeping what we are entrusted with. It's the conviction that the scriptures are accurately reflecting the reality that's around us. It's biblical faithness, uh, faithfulness requires belief in what the Bible says about God and his existence and his works and his character. 
as it relates to others, we are dependable, trustworthy. We let our yes be yes and our no be no. Gentleness, or sometimes translated as meekness, doesn't mean weakness, though. It involves humility, humility excuse me, and thankfulness towards God and a polite, restrained behavior towards others. Folks, when we're filled with the, the Spirit's fruit of gentleness, we will correct others, but with easiness instead of arguing in resentment and anger, knowing that their salvation is far more important than our pride. Finally, self-control. The ability to control oneself, well, duh, right? But it involves moderation and constraint and the ability to say no to our baser desires and fleshly lusts. One of the proofs of God's working in our lives is the ability to control our thoughts, our words, and actions. It's a choice. We've seen that we have the power through the Spirit's work in us to choose godliness. I think sometimes we think, oh, I'm saved. God's just going to give me these fruits. It's like a basket that just kind of shows up, you know, like a fruit basket. Oh, okay. Here's, okay. We got some faithfulness. Put that in the old pocket for today. Oh, some gentleness. Guess I'll take that one in my bag with me. Right? I mean, that's kind of how we think. We think that the Lord's just going to somehow magically, mystically put it into our lives that we're going to have the fruits of the Spirit. Some of us even like to make the excuse, well, I just didn't get that fruit. I didn't get the fruit of patience. We went over the, the fruit of the flesh. Did anyone else feel convicted this morning? Any of those sins ringing a bell? I mean, did you blow up at your wife and kids this week? At your job, did any of you gossip about somebody? Create a little bit of division, some dissension among your coworkers? How about this? When you looked at your social media feed, for those who have it, Instagram, Facebook, all, all that good stuff, did you see Bob and Jane and how they just got a new house and it's in the best neighborhood with the best schools, with the best and the right kind of people? Did you just want to punch your phone and say, why not me? Why can't I have that life, God? Why them? So maybe a little jealousy, a little envy this week. Folks, this life isn't easy, okay? This walk of sanctification, it is a journey. It is a process. But we continue to submit our lives to Christ. Submit our lives to the Spirit. Folks, God has given us all we need for faith and righteousness. We have the Spirit indwelling us. We have new life in Christ. We're a new creation, but there's still work to do. Thankfully, we have the power to overcome sin and the weakness of flesh. Sanctification is a process. Don't be discouraged, okay? Don't get discouraged. There's a point to all of this, which is what I'd like to explore next, the outcomes and the purpose of the walk of sanctification. So the third point today is the walk, the purpose of the walk of sanctification. All right, if you've still got your Bibles to Romans, go back, Romans 8. Let's look at verse 3 and 4 real quick. I just need to go back for a second. It said that in order, this is verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the, the Spirit. So one of the purposes of this walk of sanctification is that we fulfill the law. Now that sounds strange. 
But our walking in the Spirit fulfills the righteous requirement of the law, not because of us, but because of what Christ has already done and accomplished, and therefore what the Spirit can do through us. But what is the righteous requirement of the law? If we had to sum it up, maybe, maybe in one word, it's love. I'm not going to start singing the Beatles. You can all just take a breath. Somebody wanted me to, though, didn't you? All we need is love. Anybody? No? Okay. That's fine. Listen, I'm not the first to kind of come up with this, so, so you know, bear with me. It's, uh, it's not an original idea, this idea that the righteous requirement of the law is love. It's for us to live in love. Romans 13.8, just a little bit further on down the line, it says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to what? Love one another, for whoever loves others has what? Fulfilled the law. Galatians 5.14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Then our Savior says in Matthew 22, 36-40, teacher, he was asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is the like. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, Jesus speaking again, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Folks, love is what binds the fruit of the Spirit together. It's what Jesus says all the law and the prophets hang on, is that we love God and we love others. We should be known as people who love. Now, who was Jesus specifically talking to right there? He's talking to his disciples, right? So it's, it's one thing to love your family, okay? It's one thing to love your friends, but it's also a struggle when we come from different parts of life and we come into this place. There's different opinions here, believe it or not. There's some people that love beards and people that are wrong. There we go. Okay. Okay. But when we come together as the body of Christ and we love one another, it shows the world something's different. Something's different about that group of folks that meets at that place called Fairhaven Baptist. Maybe there's something to this Jesus thing, they'll think. Maybe if we love our coworkers, our bosses, the people who aggravate the fire out of us. Amen? Oh, come on. Maybe if we show some love to those folks, maybe we're known as people as love, maybe things change. Maybe we have an impact. Maybe folks come to know Jesus. Secondly, we prove we are God's children and followers. Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So this is further on in our text. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, 
in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are led in the spirit. It proves we are not of this world. Our allegiances are not to any country, any state, any county. We're part of another kingdom. We're children of a king. We should live and act in such a way that is apparent to others. What's another purpose? Knowing the will of God. You're thinking, where is he getting this from? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 2, 3, and then 7 through 9. For you know that what the commandments that we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Verse 3, for this is the will of God. Some of you have looked everywhere for the will of God. Am I right? You've, you've, you've just opened your Bible and said, God, give me a verse. I've done it. What's the will of God? Your sanctification. Verse 7, let's pick up in verse 7. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. If you want to know what the will of God for your life is, it's to live in holiness. So many people get caught up in this idea of seeking out the mysterious will of God for their lives and whispering to, because that's how people like to think about it. Like, you just have to really listen really hard. Put your head down on your Bible. God, just, just tell me what you want me to do. But the sincere fact is, folks, the will of God for your life is sanctification. It's living in holiness. Folks, the beauty of God and his, his bigness and sovereignty and us pursuing holiness and loving God and loving others is you get to kind of do what you want. Now, bear with me, okay? I'm about to make a point, so don't just go off the rails, okay? As we pursue Christ and we pursue God, the hobbies, the place to live, the spouse you want, Folks, that stuff falls into place. Now, I'm not saying don't pray. I'm not saying don't be wise. The Bible calls us to do both of those things. But ultimately, if you're seeking God, if you're walking in the Spirit, that's His will. You found it. Give yourself a pat on the back. Amen? You found it. There it is. First Thessalonians right there. Finally, the purpose of, of walking in sanctification is, is we walk like Jesus. Amen? We look like him. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. What does it mean to be being sanctified? What's, what's the point? The point is to look like Jesus. Amen? Another one is, is our glorification. 2 Corinthians 13, 18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Spirit, uh, from the Lord who is the Spirit. Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we what may also be glorified. Folks, he's preparing us for heaven. Finally, for our good and, and his good pleasure. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. 
Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Today we've seen that in Christ we have the spirit of life which gives us the power to walk in freedom from sin and death. We've seen that walking in the spirit is, is what the Bible calls sanctification and that it's a process. We will struggle. The old self will rise up. We will sin at times, but we have the power of the Spirit to overcome sin, temptation, our flesh, walk in holiness and sanctification. Finally, we've seen the purpose of the walk of sanctification. It's loving God, loving others. It's making us look more like Jesus. It's living out our adoption as sons and daughters of the King in a world that just doesn't get it. It's getting ready for the day of glory when Christ returns and all things are made new. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that in these moments of your word going out, I claim the promise that it doesn't return void. I pray that the water of the word has washed over us in this place. That it brings growth, maturity for those of us who are in Christ. For those of you who might be under the sound of my voice who aren't in Christ, I pray that the word of God has enlightened your hearts. The Spirit of God is waking you up to the reality of who He is and what He wants for you. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this time. We thank You for Your Spirit that indwells us and gives us the power over sin and death and to walk in newness of life. In Jesus' name, amen.